Oh man, that is always so much fun. What a cool thing. So uh, Heather was telling me that she was baptized in the same tank right there. Seven years old also. Wow, awesome. So very cool. Neat day. Uh, if you have a, a Bible with you, if you could open it up to Acts chapter 10. I love my my community group. I have a community group that meets uh, uh, like every other uh, week on Sunday evenings, and we have a meal together, and then we do a Bible study. and And usually in our group, uh, I will talk about the sermon that's coming instead of studying the one that I just preached on. We'll study the passage that's coming up next. And I've told them that the main reason for that is to help me prepare my sermons. So they're guinea pigs and they know it and they seem okay with that for the most part. So one of the questions that I asked them uh, at our study last week was, can you think of a rule that you had when you were growing up, like a, a rule your parents gave you that uh, you no longer had to follow once you grew up? Uh, and one of the first uh, answers was uh, bedtime. When I was young, I had a I had a bedtime. I had to go to sleep, you know, at a certain time. And when I got older, uh, that bedtime got later and later. And when you're a grown up, you could stay up as late as you want, right? In theory, you could might not be wise to, but you can. One of the other answers, and I won't say uh, who gave this answer, but. Uh, it was candy for dinner is another one of those rules. So uh, as a kid, apparently he wasn't allowed to eat candy for dinner, but now you can? Is that, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he, he probably doesn't eat candy for dinner a lot. It was just, he. I think he enjoyed the freedom of being able to do that uh, now that he's a grown up, right? It's just like Paul says, everything's permissible, uh, even though everything's not necessarily uh, beneficial. Uh, I I think that sometimes uh, the most confusing part of the Bible is trying to understand why are there all of these rules back in the Old Testament, back in the Old Covenant, that no longer apply to us today? Why did we have those rules back then? And why don't we have to follow them anymore now? What, what, why were they even there in the first place? What was their purpose back then? And when and how and why did those rules change? What do we even do with that whole first part of the Bible? Do we just ignore it? Do we, what do we do with the Old Testament? Uh, here in Acts, we see this gigantic change in the rules. This is really a huge pivot point. Uh, and, and at this point, it's been about a decade since the day of Pentecost, so it's been a long time. Uh, since Jesus has ascended into heaven and his disciples have been preaching the gospel. Uh, so it's not like this shift happened immediately. And it's not like this shift uh, uh, was instantly understood. It still took decades and decades uh, uh, to try and process through this shift. Honestly, there are still people today that don't get this change, don't understand why it's different. Uh, but God appears to this guy named Cornelius, who's a good guy. I mean, he's described as a God-fearer, and he's he's a good dude, but he's not a Jew. He's a Gentile, uh, uncircumcised, unclean. And he tells Cornelius, you need to go find a guy named Peter. At the same time, he gives uh, Peter this vision. L- look, Let's look at that at uh, Acts chapter 10. Starting in verse uh, 11.
And he saw the sky opened up. He's talking about Peter. And an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. Calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs and accompany them. So as Peter is trying to figure out what this vision that he had seen means, three guys show up. And I think at that point he understood. I think, I think when those guys showed up, I, I think maybe it clicked. So back in the Old Testament, we have all of these different rules that God Himself established for His people. Uh, no eating, Certain kinds of foods. There was tons of dietary laws. No pork. Uh, you can't eat meat with blood in it. Uh, only well-done steaks. Otherwise, you can't eat it. Uh, no wearing clothes of mixed fabric, which I don't even think there are clothes that aren't mixed fabrics anymore. Like, that's hard to do. No no tattoos. That's Leviticus 19. Uh, you're not allowed to get a tattoo. Uh, and then there were all of these different sacrificial rituals that people had to do uh, as a part of their worship. So here, for Peter uh, to get this, this vision from God with his huge tablecloth full of these unclean animals and to be told, you're, you're okay to go ahead and kill and eat these animals for Peter, that was no way. There's no way he's going to do it. It's, it's crazy. Peter, here's see this pig? Go ahead and kill it, like hickory smoke it, and then serve it for breakfast as bacon. No. Ah, I can't. Lobster, here's a lot. You can eat this lobster now with some butter. It's delicious. No. The vulture over there, you can even eat that vulture even though it's it's unclean or it used to be. It's not unclean. It's gross. I don't know why you'd want to eat it, but you could. That's an option now. Peter is stunned. And and I think maybe he thinks that this is like a test from God or a trick or something because he's like, no way, God. I'm not going to. I've never done that. I've never eaten anything unclean. But God, God reassures him by saying, Ah, uh, I've declared these things clean, and so you can no longer consider them unholy. Rules have changed, Peter. It's, it's weird. It's, why? Sometimes it feels like the Old Testament was like a stern parent God, right? God has got all these, these boundaries that he's setting, and he's disciplining his children. And in the New Testament, now God's like a, like a grandparent, right? Anything goes. Uh, you can eat whatever. You can have candy for breakfast or dinner, whatever you want. It's fine now. It's, it's cool. Why did God call them unclean before, but now he considers them cleansed? What changed? And is God being inconsistent? 
And to, to understand that, to understand uh, the new rules and why the change happened, I think we have to understand something about those old rules and their purpose. And in a lot of ways, those old rules are, are like the rules that our parents gave us when we were young. They, they were wise and they had a value, right? Bedtimes for younger kids is a smart thing and not letting them eat candy for dinner is a, is a good thing. But their purpose was always to help us mature and to grow up. And there was always something better in store. The first thing I want us to do is just look really briefly at the scope of the old rules. In the New Testament, the the rules are called the law, right? The law was just this like big general title that referred to a couple different specific things. Uh, the law could be divided up into three different headings. The first is the civil law. In the Old Testament, God chose Abraham and said, you're going to be uh, the father of this great nation. I'm going to make a country, a group of people out of you. And through that, there's going to be a blessing for the whole world. And so God established the nation. He helped them acquire their own land, right? The whole promised land. He helped them establish laws that would help them live life together in a safe and healthy way. So a lot of those laws had to do with practical things like theft and, and murder and land disputes. And the main reason for those laws is the same reason why we have laws in our country today to help maintain peace and order. But in God's country, they were also designed to set His people apart. God wanted His people to look different and to be different from every other nation. So there are those laws. And then, and then there was the ceremonial laws. And these are the laws or the rules that surrounded how they were supposed to worship God. And there's all kinds of different offerings, some of them animals, some of them grains or first fruits. There were rules that dictated what the priests were supposed to do and and how the people were supposed to atone for their sins. And the the purpose of these rules, uh, by a large part, was to help people understand the weight of their sin, the seriousness of sin, and to understand just how holy and righteous and perfect God is. The sacrifices that they made had to be repeated over and over and over again. Because an animal was not really a a sufficient sacrifice to completely atone for sins. Something better was needed. God had promised all along that that something better was coming. And then you have the moral law of God. And this is reflected in the Ten Commandments. this is, it's, it's more than just a, a list of rules. It's really an ethical system that should guide uh, all of our actions and our, our thoughts and our behavior. Uh, it's, it's more than just rules because remember when somebody asks Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love, love God, God with all your heart and your mind and your soul, with everything that you have, and then love others, which is really just a summation of the Ten Commandments, right? The first four commandments are all about our relationship with God, don't have idols, don't take His name in vain, honor the Sabbath. And then and then the last uh, six of the Ten Commandments are all about our relationship with each other. Don't steal, don't covet, don't kill, those, those kinds of things. The civil laws were designed uh, to change. They were going to change as the people of God went from being this distinct nation 
to being integrated with the nations. And, and the ceremonial laws were a temporary solution also. Again, God always had something better in mind that He had promised. The moral laws of God, though, they don't really change a, a, a ton. Uh, there are things that were moral norms before the Ten Commandments were given, and there are things that still are moral absolutes now. Uh, it's still not okay to worship idols or to dishonor the name of God or to, or to murder people or to still. Each aspect of the law is given for a specific reason. But there, there's a lot of overlap to them. The moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law all, all had some key purposes uh, behind them. The purpose of the law really was to set God's people apart. To create something different and something holy. Something that was going to be honoring to God. Something that would be clean. So again, that's why entrance into the covenant community was by birth and was confirmed uh, through this sign of the covenant circumcision, which seems like an odd ritual to have to go through to be a part of the people of God. I'm glad that we're in the new covenant and instead we do baptisms now because that would have been kind of awkward for Brian and I if it was still circumcision. But what, why did God even do that? Like why? Why have that be a sign of the covenant? And I think part of the reason is because he wanted to set his people apart. He knew that his people are about to go into this this promised land that was full of pagans who a part of their worship was a prostitution. He wanted his people to be distinct and set apart from that. And that's also the reason behind all the weird dietary laws and the restrictions. These were supposed to be people that were really, really different in everything that they do, in the way, in the way that they looked, in the way that they dressed, in the way that they ate. Different. Another purpose of the law, though, was also to teach morality, to demonstrate to a world full of people who were enslaved by sin, full of people who are horribly selfish, that there is such a thing as right and wrong. And that ultimate standard of right and wrong doesn't come from within us or what we think. That ultimate standard comes from God Himself. And then the purpose of the law is also to show the seriousness of sin. And think, think about watching an, an animal, like a poor, helpless animal, be killed. And, and know that that animal represents you. They're like a vicarious stand-in for you. They're taking your sins on them and being killed. That's horrifying to me. It, it would have communicated that sin is really, really bad. And the consequences of sin is death. Just like God said all the way back in the garden. And we should never forget that. So through uh, all these laws, God is saying to these people, you people are mine. And you're supposed to be different. And you're supposed to be set apart. And, and you're supposed to be holy. And you're supposed to be clean. And you're supposed to stay away from anything or anyone that's unclean. Don't eat anything unclean. Don't be around anyone who's unclean. Or allow yourself to be defiled in any way. Uphold my honor through these laws. 
And they do. And everything's great. And they live happily ever after, right? No, no, not. they don't. They don't honor God. They don't keep the law. They don't hold it up. They can't. <laughs> they try. They try to do these things that God asks them to do and they fail time and time again and they get sucked into worshiping idols and they defile themselves with unclean people and unclean things. And they get disciplined by God and they just can't maintain that holiness on their own no matter how hard they try. And all along the way, God promises that something better is coming. Better way. And that better thing is Jesus, right? Early on in Jesus' ministry, He says this. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And what, what does that mean? What exactly does it mean when Jesus says, I'm going to be the fulfillment of everything that God had been promising all throughout the Old Testament? What does it mean now that the law has been fulfilled? What does that mean for people in their relationship with God? Again, this, this is such a, a huge thing, a huge shift that takes the church a long time to figure it out. But Jesus has been a, a, was the fulfillment of the law in, in, a, in a number of different ways. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law by being the perfect sacrifice. The large sections of the book of Hebrews are devoted to explaining this for us, but simply stated, the blood of bulls and goats was not enough, not sufficient to really fully cleanse us, permanently take away our sins. It, it couldn't fully atone. They were weak substitutes. And the reason that Jesus, though, was the perfect, complete, once and for all sacrifice is because Jesus is fully God, perfect and holy and pure. And Jesus is fully human. He's one of us. And as our representative can take on that penalty that we owe. So before the sacrifices have to be made over and over and over again. But now, Jesus is our once and for all sacrifice of atonement. And by identifying with Jesus through faith in Him and, and pictured through what we did here through baptism, we are laying claim to that sacrifice. We are holding fast to that as our salvation once and for all. That's the reason why Jesus is so important to us. That's the reason why He's so significant. Because but no one else could pay the penalty. No one else could be that perfect sacrifice. No one else did. Only Jesus. So we can see now how all of the Old Testament sacrificial system was leading to Jesus. It was pointing people ahead to that perfect sacrifice. He didn't abolish it. He didn't get rid of it. He perfected it. And in doing so, made it no longer necessary for us to ever have to do any kind of ceremonial sacrifice ever again. That whole thing is over. The best and perfect sacrifices come and it's complete and it's done. 
Jesus is the full, perfect sacrifice. Also, Jesus is our example of morality. He exemplified how to perfectly keep the moral law of God. But First Peter chapter 2, he says this, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one, uh, to him who judges justly. Jesus didn't do away with the moral law. He perfected it. He upheld it perfectly. And, and because of that, because of what, what Jesus has done, he has the ability to make us perfectly clean. And that's perhaps the, the, the greatest uh, a benefit, the, the, the most important fulfillment of the old covenant is that Jesus makes us clean. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is hard to believe, right? I mean, that still is amazing to hear. That simply by, by this confession of Jesus and repentance and faith in Him, God is faithful, He's just, and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a lot. There's a lot of unrighteousness represented in this room, right? Just up on the stage alone, there's a lot of us righteous. I mean, that, that's a huge statement. Hebrews 10, it says, let us draw near with a sincere heart, full, in, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then in Hebrews 9 it says, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? those Old Testament sacrifices had, had a temporary effect of, of purifying us, cleansing us, it says there in Hebrews. But the blood of Jesus does it fully, completely. So this vision that Peter sees of the tablecloth coming down and all the different unclean animals on it and God telling him, go ahead, have a snack. It's cool now. God has decreed that these things that were once unclean are now clean. And I, and I don't think that he's just talking about food. Right after seeing the vision from God, the, the three servants of Cornelius show up looking for Peter. Holy Spirit tells Peter, it's okay, go with them. I sent them. Look at, look at verse 24, chapter 10. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up saying, Stand up! I too am just a man. 
As he talked with them, he entered and found many people assembled. Yeah, that makes sense, right? I, I had this vision of from God to go get a guy named Peter and bring him. I'm going to get everybody that I know, all my family, and we're going to hear what this guy has to say. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That's why I came without even raising an objection when I was sent for. So I ask, for what reason you have sent for me? So Peter says, you guys know the rules. I'm a Jew. You guys are Gentiles. I'm not supposed to even go to your house. I'm not supposed to hang out with you at all. But God showed me that I'm not supposed to call any man unholy or unclean. When did God tell him that? That vision. That's what that vision means. It wasn't just the animals. It wasn't just the food. It was, it was people. It was God telling Peter that these Gentiles who had been outsiders, who had, who had not been a part of, of the people, they were, they were now accepted in. They were going to be considered holy and clean. In, in the same way that the Jews were through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ, now any man, any person, anyone is going to be right with God. Peter, Peter gets it. He, he gets it. Through the atoning work of Jesus, now anybody can be fully and completely cleansed. Cleansing is no longer a matter of these sacrifices because Jesus is the final sacrifice. And cleansing is not about being a Jew or being circumcised or keeping those laws anymore because those things were never able to fully save them anyway. And cleansing is not a matter of anything that we do, but all a matter of what Jesus has already done. And that reality took a lot of Jewish Christians a long, long, long time to accept. Some refused to. And some kept teaching that you still had to be uh, circumcised and keep all the laws and follow all the rules if you really wanted to be a good Christian. But that's, that's like trying to add stuff to the completed work of Christ and you can't do that. You don't need to do that. You can't add stuff to the completed work of Christ without totally dishonoring what Jesus has accomplished. We don't do anything to merit or earn our salvation. Jesus gets all the credit. And pretty much all of the book of Galatians is Paul combating this idea that we need to keep the law in order to be saved. In chapter 3, Paul gives this... uh, Awesome explanation of the old rules and the new rules. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 says, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. He explains that the purpose of the law back then was to lead us to that better thing that God had been promising. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have closed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. Neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to a promise. The Old Testament was like those rules that we had when we were growing up that had value, but they were just there to lead us to a place of a maturity. And once we're grown up, we don't need the tutor anymore. Now we're cleansed and we're children of God and we're saved through faith in Christ Jesus. Man, praise God for throwing open the doors of heaven and purifying everyone, all of us, through Jesus Christ. Let me, let me close with this song uh, that's sung by angels in heaven. It's from Revelation chapter 5. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Amen. God, thank You again so much for Your Word and what it teaches us and what it shows us. Lord, thank You that through Jesus Christ You have kept Your promises or fulfilled everything that was needed for us to be saved and sealed and made right with You. Again, God, we thank You for what Jesus Christ has done for us. I pray to Your God that as we would live this life in a way that desires to honor and serve You. God, that You would continue to bless us and protect us and guide us. Lord, may You get all the glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.